And the sermon entitled this morning is The Law Written in Our Hearts. The Law Written in Our Hearts. I believe that the last message that is to go out throughout the world is in Revelation 18 is a revelation of his character of what? Love. Revelation of God's character of love is the last message that is to go out throughout the world. And as we study Romans, may we truly fall in love with God. The law of God is a reflection of God's character. In other words, God's law reveals who God is. But this law, though it reveals who God is, is not enough. For this law can give to you no power, no love, and no peace. For there must be something more that can transform the life. There must be something more that can give you love. There must be something more that can give you peace. And beloved, this morning, that something more is Jesus Christ. Amen? For with Jesus, there is power to transform the life. With Jesus, there is love to move the world. With Jesus, there is peace to soothe the storm-filled soul this morning. Beloved, what this world needs today more than ever before is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If you believe what I'm saying, let me say amen. So this morning as we study the Word of God with unified hearts, may we all realize the importance of Jesus within our lives. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you may help me to be weak, that you may be strong. May your word be made simple, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's study our, continue our Bible study this morning in Romans chapter 2, verse 12. We're looking at text. We're going to go, as the more we get into Romans, the more we have to ask for God's Holy Spirit to help it to be simple to us. I pray that it be easy for you to understand, but it's going to get more in depth. But we pray for God's Spirit that make it simple for us. How will everyone be judged? Romans chapter 2, verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. Now, without law means without God's law or without the Bible. So just as we learned, there's going to be people who are saved, right? The heathens, without God's law. Why? Because everyone has been given a chance, right? To know who God is and to choose without God's law. So as many have sinned without law, without God's law, without the Bible, it's still going to perish without the Bible. We've studied that in Romans chapter 1. Then it goes on and says, As many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Or in the law, in God's law, in the Bible. So those who have the Bible will still be judged by what they have been shown. In other words, you will be judged by what you know. Right? If you know a little, you'll be judged by the little that you know. If you know a lot, you're going to be judged by the lot of things, many things that you do know. That's why we're told in the Bible, Luke 12, verse 48, on your green paper, that says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him much will be required. 
Now, what does the Bible say about God's love? Romans chapter 2, verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. It says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. You see, the Bible says that just hearing God's law is not enough. But we must be doers of God's law. Having a knowledge, just a knowledge of God's law, does not mean that a person is right before God. It said, doing what God's law says is what really counts. Amen? In other words, when one is justified, there must be a change. So the two always goes together. Justification and sanctification always goes together. It must be together. You can never separate the two. So we know from this text, it says that we must obey the law of God. We must be obedient to God's law. But there's just one problem. And that problem is this. We have no power to obey the law of God. Let me say that again. We have absolutely no power to obey the law of God. No matter how strong our desires are, no matter how intense our cravings are, no matter how deep our hopes are to obey, beloved, we have absolutely no power to obey God's law this morning. And you believe what I'm saying? Let me hear you say amen. Now, if you are able to obey God's law, we're supposed to obey God's law, but we have no power to obey, then what are we to do? Well, let's look at an example. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. For when the Gentiles which have not the law, or don't have God's law, don't have the Bible, but they do by nature the things contained in the law, they're still able to do the things in the law. These having not the law, not the Bible, are a law unto themselves. The Gentiles, the heathens, those who don't believe in God out there. The Bible says that even though they don't have God's law, even though they don't have the Bible, they still are doing, there's people out there who still do and obey God's law out there. Not only that, but they have the law unto themselves according to the Bible. Now how is this so? How is it these heathen are doing what the Bible says even though they don't even have a Bible? How is that so? Notice what the Bible says in Romans 2.15. The Bible says, Which show the work of the law written where? In their hearts. Their contents all bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In other words, the heathen who don't have a Bible are able to do what the Bible says because the heathens have the law written in their hearts this morning. Amen? And it's because God's law is written in their hearts, then they have God's Spirit guiding their conscience, either accusing them or excusing them, according to the Bible. In other words, God's Spirit is guiding their conscience whether their actions are wrong or whether their actions are right. See, beloved, it doesn't matter whether you have the law or you don't have the law. What really matters is that you have that law written in your hearts this morning, amen? It doesn't matter whether you have the truth or you don't have the truth. What really matters is if you have that truth 
written inside of your heart this morning. Amen? You see, beloved, God wants us to obey his law of love. But he also wants to realize that in our sinful flesh, on our own, we cannot obey this law, no matter how strong our desires may be. And it's only when we finally realize this that we'll turn to God's solution. And God's solution is this, that he will write his law within our hearts this morning. Now, what did the Jews do, according to Paul? Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Let's continue our Bible study. I always say, don't believe a word I have to say, but believe what the Bible has to say this morning. Amen? So we go to the Bible. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. The Bible says, what did they do? The Bible says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and rested in the law. Paul is talking to these Jews who rested in the law and not in Christ. In other words, they sought righteousness not by faith, but by the works of the law. In other words, they sought righteousness by the letter of the law, as Paul talks about. In other words, the Bible and the law was just like a to-do list. Are you following me? All God's laws written, therefore, to, how many do to-do lists? Let me see your hands out there. I do. I have my to-do list every day, and I scratch out and I finish it out, right? I scratch the next one. We're so accustomed to making to-do lists, right? All the time. And so what happened, we transfer our to-do list into our Christian experience. And therefore, we live the letter of the law. The outward letter, we make our to-do list. We like, number one, I'm not going to steal. Number two, I'm going to be nice to my neighbor, even though he's mean to me, right? <laughs> number three, I'm going to be nice to my wife when I get home. Number four, right, we make our to-do list. And so these Jews that Paul was talking to, he was saying, you're making a to-do list. You're, falling, you're resting and depending upon the law for your righteousness rather than through faith, which brings righteousness. Notice what else did it happen. You are called a Jew and rested in the law, and you make your boast of God. Now, it's not talking about boasting in God for what God has done in his li their lives. They're boasting, the Jews are boasting because of their superior knowledge of God that they had over the heathens. An arrogance, a prideful arrogance within their lives. They boasted of what they had. And beloved, have we as Seventh-day Adventists or Christians done the very same thing this morning? Have we sometimes prided ourselves over our superior knowledge of God and boasted of how we have the truth, beloved? Could we feel like our superiority is shown by our actions and how we treat people? Our superiority is shown in how we talk about how much we know. But what else did the Jews do? Look at verse 18. The Bible says, And noise talking to the Jews, say, you know his will, you know God's will, you prove the things that are more excellent, or you, you determine, or you study, you prove the things that are, more, that are true, because you're being instructed out of the law, you know the truth, you know the, the word, you know the spirit of prophecy, you know all these things, and notice what it says in verse 19, and you are confident as a Jew, that you yourself are a guide of the blind, 
a light of them which are in darkness, the Bible says, your instructor of the foolish or the ignorant, a teacher of babes or a teacher of those who are newly coming to the faith. That's the, all the things that you are as a Jew. But notice what Paul says, but he ends and he says this, which you have the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. The Bible says that, Paul said that you only have a form of the knowledge of the truth in the law. In other words, they only had an appearance on the outside of a righteous character, beloved. You see, the Ten Commandments is like a picture. Now, look at your picture right here. I made a picture for you on this green paper. Look at this picture. And go through something with this picture. So hopefully you can understand. Now, imagine this is your house. Okay? This is your house. This is a picture of your house. Now, let me ask you some questions. Now, if you had this picture of your house, is this picture of your house really your house? No, it's not. Your actual house is the real thing, isn't it, right? Not, that, not this picture right here, right? And no matter how perfect this picture may be, this is still not your house, right? No matter how perfect it is, I know it's not as perfect, it's a computer design, but it's not really your house. Now, that picture of your house, this picture right here, is just an appearance of the reality, right? It's not the real thing. Are you following me? Your house is actually, that you have, is actually the real thing. But if you have the real thing, if you go to your house and that's the real thing, not only is that the substance of your house, because it is your house, the real thing, but it also has, it is, the substance also has the appearance of the house, because it looks like it. Your substance actually has the real thing and it looks like it. It has the appearance of the house. Well, this picture only has, your real house has two things, the real house, the real thing, the substance, and also the appearance of it. This does not have the real thing. It only has the appearance of it. Are you following me so far? In the same way, mere words written in a book, the Bible, or graving on tables of stones this morning, beloved, have no life. For this is only a picture of the character of God. Are you following me? But Christ this morning, who is the truth, who lived out the living law perfectly, the law perfectly, is an embodiment of the character, the living character of God this morning. Amen? Amen. And that is why whosoever has the life of Christ dwelling within them has a perfect law of God living within their life. And a person who has Christ in their life now has both the substance and the form, beloved, here this morning. The real thing and the appearance. But the person who only has the picture of Christ, which is only a knowledge of the truth or living up to the letter of the law, has only the form of godliness, the appearance of godliness, but denying the power thereof, which is Christ, beloved. Amen? Now, if you had to choose between this picture 
of this house or the actual house itself, which would you choose? <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I would definitely choose the house, maybe a nicer house. <clears throat> Wouldn't you? But it's an unfortunate fact today that many Christians are selling for just the picture of Christ rather than Christ himself. They'd rather have a knowledge of the truth than have Christ himself, who is the truth, beloved, this morning. They'd rather live out the dead letter of the law than have Christ himself, who is the embodiment of the living law of God. They'd rather have the picture, which is the appearance of Christ, than the real thing, which is the life of Christ here this morning. Oh, beloved, this morning we need to have the reality rather than the appearance. We, we need to have the substance rather than the form. We need to have the real thing, beloved, this morning rather than the picture. And you believe what I'm saying? Let me hear you say amen. amen. Now, what question does Paul go on to ask in Romans chapter 2, verse 21? Let's go on. The Bible says, 21 and 22. Paul goes on and says, Thou therefore... Teaching another teaches not yourself. In other words, in teaching others, have you ever thought you need to learn something yourself first? What did Paul want them to learn first? Notice the Bible says, Thou that preaches a man should not steal. Do you steal? You who say a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Now you look at these questions, you're probably thinking to yourself, I don't commit adultery, I don't worship idols, I don't murder, I don't steal. I don't do all of these things. In fact, I'm a pretty good Christian, right? I'm a pretty good Christian. So Paul's asking all these questions. You're teaching others not to steal. Don't tell people don't steal. But you, are you stealing? Tell people not to murder. Are you murdering? You're telling people not to worship idols. Are you worshiping idols? But there's a problem. You see, you can live a respectable life in this world and still break all of God's commandments. Now you're wondering to me, how is that possible? In fact, the person can break all of God's commandments and still be a shining light in the best society. How is that so? Well, let's look at this. Let's look at the green paper here. Romans 7, verse 14. I put it down so we don't have to flip back and forth. It says, For we know that the law is what? Spiritual. If the law was just the letter of the law, then many Christians would have feel no need for something more than the letter of the law. We feel we have no need of something higher or power who is Jesus Christ himself. And unfortunately, many Christians today in Seventh-day Adventists are living the letter of the law, and that's why we feel so complacent, so comfortable as Christians, because that's all we're living up to is the letter. But the law is not just the letter. The law is spiritual, beloved. It goes beyond. It 
pushes us, it forces us to, to realize our need of Christ because the law is much more higher than what is written on pages. Paper, Lord. Paper this morning, beloved. And look at you know what the Bible says here in the next one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, 28. That's why Jesus said, If you have heard that it was said of them by old time, you shall not commit adultery. But this is the spirit of the law. Notice what it says. But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. In other words, if you lust after another person that's not your spouse, if you romanticize about being with someone that you're not married with, you're always thinking about being how it would be like married to that person we married to someone else. Even though you did, you did not commit the physical act of adultery, because you did it in your mind, you still committed adultery. The law is spiritual. It's not just the letter of the law. Another example, look at, look at 1 John 3.15. You say maybe you didn't never murdered anyone. The Bible says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. See, beloved, just because you never killed anyone, you never murdered anyone, but if you have hate for a brother or a sister, you committed murder just as like as the person who killed someone and took someone's life away with a knife or a gun. The law is not the letter of the law. The law is spiritual. It's much more higher than just the letter of the law. You see, beloved, the Pharisees had only the appearance of being good. They look righteous. By their internal thoughts and feelings were only full of hypocrisy and sin. And what God wants to do for us instead is to put His righteousness within our hearts this morning. Amen? Amen? There needs to be more power than an outward behaving that looks good to everyone else. There needs to be an inside transformation of the thoughts and the feelings and the motives so that only, it shows that only God can do something like that, beloved. Not us this morning. Amen? And so it's a spiritual change. The law is spiritual this morning. Where else have we broken the Ten Commandments? And this is what I'm going to focus on a little bit more this morning. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. The Bible says, remember it said in Romans, you who say you should not steal, do you steal? <laughs> well, I, don't, I haven't robbed a story lately. But notice what it says here. God says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. And notice what the people in those days responded. And first of all, God says, you have robbed me, but you say, when have we robbed thee? In other words, the people in these days of Malachi's day, when God asked them, you have robbed me. And they said, the pe God's people at that time said, we haven't robbed you. Where have we robbed you? They were looking at the letter of the law. We haven't robbed any stores. We haven't robbed anything, for, stolen anything from my neighbor or my family members. I haven't done anything like that. And in the same way, beloved, have we answered the same question? Do we look at the letter of the law and say, oh, well, we haven't stolen anything from anyone? 
But God said, you have stolen from me the spirituality of the law. The law is spiritual. You have robbed me. Yet you have robbed me. We say, when have we robbed you? And God said, in tithes and what? Offerings. And notice because of this, it says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. In the same way, I believe there are many of us who feel maybe don't know that we have robbed God also by not returning our tithes and our offerings. Now there are four groups who robbed God. There are some of us who never knew of this text and therefore we never return any tithes and offerings and we robbed God that way, right? Group number two. There's people who know about returning tithes and offerings to God. In spite of knowing it, they still rebel against God and not return. Then there's group number three. And group number three interprets this text as saying, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, they look at, Where, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And all they read is in tithes. In other words, someone must misinterpret it to understand that the Bible says just tithes. We take out the word offerings from the Bible and we only return tithes of just 10% of our income. But if you read this, God says that you have robbed me in what? Tithes and offerings, beloved, this morning. In other words, God wants to return, tithes means 10%. God wants to return at least 10%. 10% and at least 1% for offering, at least 11%, beloved, this morning. And lastly, there are some people who misinterpret these texts. And they look at this and they say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And all they can see is in offerings. They leave out the word tithes. You see, unlike the offering, the tithe was very restricted. Number one, unlike the offering, the tithe was meant to be used for a specific purpose of supporting Levites. Number two, unlike the offering, the tithe was meant to be a specific amount or 10%. The offering, you can put any amount, any percentage. Number three, unlike the offering, the tithe was, was meant to be gathered only in the storehouse, where the offering could be gathered anywhere. Specific restrictions that was placed upon the tithe. So my question to you this morning is this. Have you rendered to God that which is his due? And your tithes and your offerings is my question. If you haven't, what will you answer when the word of God comes to you asking you the question? You who teach others to steal, do you steal? Beloved, if you haven't started returning tithe, then maybe you should start thinking about returning tithe. And if you're not returning, and you're returning tithe, maybe you should start thinking about starting in an offering. And maybe you're already doing a tithe and a little bit offering. Maybe you should talk, start thinking about maybe more offering to God. I know we're facing financially uncertain times at this time, right? And you may be thinking to yourself that I need to hold on to my money just in case, right? But beloved, it is actually more safe to trust in God who owns all the wealth in this world, amen? But when you give what you got, to those who need help, 
or to the church to help out those who need help. Possibly those who maybe are even greater need than even yourself this morning, beloved. There will be a special blessing that will attend to you. God will send out his blessings and hold back the curses that Satan will come your way. For we are told in God's word that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Amen? Even before I started to walk with God, I returned a tithe to God. And you know what? It was what Paul was talking about here. It was just a form, an appearance of righteousness. And I guess like many Christians today, I just did it anyway. But that was all I gave. And at that time, I didn't realize that I was actually robbing God by not returning offerings. It was only, and get this, it was only when I became a minister of the gospel that that finally hit me like, whoa, there's offerings that I've been robbing God on. So those of you that don't pay offerings or whatever, don't feel bad. As a minister, I didn't even know. So here's the pain tied first. But when I finally began to learn about God's love for me, beloved, I began to love him more and more with each passing day. And I came to realization that I was returning tied to God with the wrong motives. The reason why I want to return tied is because I wanted to receive the blessings it was talking about here in Malachi, right? And I wanted not to be, receive the curses. Therefore, I mean, this makes sense, right? Out of fear or hope of reward, that's why I wanted to serve God and give the tithes. But I finally came to the realization when I started to walk with God and to love God that I will return tithes and offerings to God regardless of the blessing, regardless of the curses, beloved. A few years later, I felt the calling to come up high as a minister and decided to return. And by the way, in the ancient Jewish church, as a history, historians say that the Jews paid at least one-third of their income to tithes and offerings. That's a lot of money. Now, I know that they were theocracy, but even some of us without tithes and offerings in our taxes, we still don't even come close to that. That's how much they, they gave. So as I studied this, I realized that, well, am I really robbing God and paying this like 1% offering? So let me show you my personal testimony. And so I was saying, God, and I realized that God was convicting me. I said, you know, I need to give more and return to God more of his due. I don't want to be robbing God. So I decided, okay, God, I'm going to give 10% of my tithe, of my gross income, and also 10% of my gross um, um, income for also offering, for a total of 20%. Now, that's faith, beloved, believe me. Just recently, within the last few years, because of what I've seen, how God has worked in my life, my family, my ministry, and because of the experiences I encountered with God and, and what He has done for me, my love and appreciation for Him has grown tremendously, beloved. He's done many miracles for me. He has brought me through and my family through several hardships. He's brought me out of the, the miry clay of a spiritual depression that I was in for many years. He's given me as a young minister tremendous blessings that people told me they count as an honor. 
And because of the immense love that I experienced with God, I decided a few years ago that I will start returning 10% of my income for tithe and 20% of my income for offering. In other words, I began 30% of my gross income to devoted sacred and religious purposes. Now I can tell you with a young family, I can tell you that it's been extremely difficult in living a life of simplicity and frugality. But with each temptation to give up, I'm reminded how much God has blessed me and my family. He's blessed me with a calling to the ministry, a wonderful wife, and a beautiful daughter. We had food on our table, a roof over our head, and most importantly, a happy home. What more could we ask God for? For He has truly blessed us exceedingly above all we could ever ask or think. But you know, it's just recently I, I finally realized the greatest blessing that God has gave us for making this decision to give back and return to Him. See, I felt recently that maybe God's calling me to maybe another place or um, to start a school of the prophets, you know, my burden. And so I started, I talked to my wife one evening and I said to her, if God was to call us somewhere else, mission field or start a school of the prophets, I asked her, would you go? To my surprise, she said yes. I said to her, you mean you're willing to give up this salary? You're willing to give up all that we have? She said, she said to me, what would we lose? She said. <laughs> We've been living very simply. So that's what she told me. By the way, don't you know, we live in a travel trailer off the grid. I mean, there's no electricity up there. There's no county water. There's no phone lines. There's no cable. There's no internet. We don't own a TV. We don't eat out. We don't buy any clothes. She said to me, all of our clothes have been hand-me-downs or given to us as gifts. And it wasn't until that reply I realized that the greatest blessing that God has given me in return for returning tithes and offerings was that He used our giving to strip us of our selfishness that has so run alive for so many years. We had learned to be happy and content in our lives with the very little that we had, beloved. And it's not that we are forced to. By choice, we designated this money and by choice freely gave it away and chose to live a simple, frugal life. So that night as I drifted off to sleep, I came to a realization that I was truly blessed. I realized that every day I had felt the love that we experienced in our family, in our hearts. I realized that in the evenings, I heard the laughter of our home echo through the still nights. I realized that every morning worship, I have seen the devotion of our, of our souls at the family worship to see my precious daughter singing those beautiful songs and praises to her God and content and happy with what she's got, beloved. To the outsider, it may seem that we may have lost much, but to me and my family, we would believe that we have lost nothing and have gained everything. Beloved, this morning, what is really important to you? What are you appreciative of? Are you grateful that you have a knowledge of the truth? Or are you grateful that God has written his law within your heart? 
Are you thankful that you live up to the letter of the law? Or are you thankful that Christ is living out His law within you? Are you pleased that you don't break the Ten Commandments? Or are you pleased that God has given to you obedience in thought and in spirit? Are you content with just having a picture of Christ? Or are you enthusiastic about having the very life of Christ here this morning? Beloved, why don't you let Christ come into your heart this morning? Why don't you let His Spirit of self-sacrificing love come into your life? Why don't you let Him reveal to you His tremendous love that He has for you here this morning? Beloved, you want to be truly happy in this world, then why, why don't you let Jesus come into your heart? For the Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let Him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to Him? Time after time, He has waited before. Now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. We need Christ to change our insides, our thoughts, our feelings, and our motives rather than just the appearance on the outside, beloved. And he believed one and say, Let me hear you say amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.